Welcome to No Concessions, your favorite movie podcast that covers subgenres of movies. Uh, this week's subgenre is movies that are like impractically too long. Yeah, movies that don't know how long you want to actually watch what's going on. Yeah, it's very weird. All three of these movies are fucking weird. This week we're doing a triple review, back to back to back review. We're all just going to meld these movies together because they're all basically the same thing. <laughs> we're reviewing Bad Boys 1, Bad Boys 2, and Bad Boys for Life. I'm not even going to read the credits during the review because your boy is dangerously hungover. <laughs> and that would take so much work that I haven't prepared for. All you need to know is Michael Bay, Will Smith, and Martin Lawrence. That's really all you need to know. And that guy who screams a lot, their captain. And just so you Joe at Pantoliano. home. Joe Pantoliano. Joe Pantoliano? Yes. Is that his name? Yeah. Yep. IRL? Yep. Oh, that's interesting. Or Cypher, know. if you want to just yeah. go by his Matrix name. Oh, <laughs> I didn't even put two and two together. I was like, why do I recognize this dude's face? Because I recognize his voice because he's done voice acting and stuff. I was like, why do I recognize this dude's face? And then in the third one, when he has less hair, I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. Uh, to kick off this week's segment, uh, the show is now on Letterboxd. No Concessions is the username on Letterboxd, which is the social media app for movies and stuff. And for for the first thing we're going to do today, we're going to do uh, Letterboxd reviews. We're going to give a star rating to each of the movies that we've watched on the show before. Of course, at the end, we're going to do our titular segment, No Concessions. And because coronavirus season is happening right now, uh, these shows, again, are going to be infrequent. The reason why I'm not doing web shows is because I hate recording over the internet. It's bad every time. It, it, I don't know how to get it to work well. And it, I'm sure it sounds fine to some people, but like to me, it just drives me fucking insane. So That's I right. D- this is the show that only ever strives for perfection. You'll get nothing less. <laughs> He's correct. He's absolutely correct. Nothing but the truth from uh, Charles. Either of us. One of them. One of you is a dirty, rotten liar. I haven't one of us only tells truth. One of us only tells lies. <laughs> <laughs> and if you guess the wrong one, you're that less racist than if you guess the right one. <laughs> <laughs> Also, you're going to hear background noise of the road that's behind my apartment because, dog, it's too hot. It just gets warm so quickly. Yeah. It's only going to be like 75, 76 today, but it just feels like the air is heavy. Yeah, it's heavy with racism. <laughs> no, it's, it's just it's the heat it's, from all those fires. <laughs> it's the same as it's always been. We just kind of forgot what it's like to have like outdoor air on you it's true from being holed up like a mole for the last two months it's true to start off these reviews the first ever review that no concessions did and i don't even remember who was on the episode charles you were on it hudson hawk yep hudson hawk did you did you watch it charles Mm -mm. no what did you think of that what out of five stars what would you rate that shit i'd rate it three stars because it's worth watching but not if you have other things to do (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right i uh, i agree with that i would i would say two and a half three but they don't do half ratings on uh yeah i was gonna go two and a half i was like yeah let's bump it up to the three let's round up all right wait three. let's let's back this up for a second because every study needs a control how many stars would bright get so we can calibrate everything else relative to that the bright scale i mean you can't you can't assess a masterpiece like right. <laughs> uh, you I can't mean, top g- to bottom, 
flawless. It's just it's maybe the greatest movie ever made. I don't know. Infinite stars. Negative zero stars. Yeah, exactly. Nan. We'll give it a nan stars. Uh, zero, to, the zero to the power of zero. The root. The, the square root of zero. Numbers zero. are difficult. <laughs> That's uh, why I'm here. Hooray. Matt. Here to answer all your number questions. <laughs> they all call right. me the number muncher. The next movie on the list is Dragon Slayer from 1981. Dragon Slayer gets four stars just for its time and how good that fucking dragon looks. Okay. Um, yeah. Four stars. Is, four stars seems good. Like it's fine for a movie that came out in like 78 or 81, right? Yeah. 81. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like technically it was very impressive to today's standards. It kind of looks like something that would be put on adult swim. Yeah. But otherwise, but I it's mean, also like pretty tight plot wise. Like it just gets to what it's getting to and then it's over, which is not something we can say for most of the movies we have watched on the show. It's true. It's super true. The next one is Black Rain. Oh, Black Rain. Black Rain was fucking sick. <laughs> that movie was insane. I loved it. I loved it. I got I to gotta put a fucking heart on that movie. Black Rain, I'm giving that four stars. That movie was yeah, fucking insane. Sick. Uh, oh, if you haven't seen Black Rain, that's definitely one I would say go out of your way to watch. Oh, God, The Spirit. <laughs> I'm personally giving the spirit five stars. <laughs> In fact, it'd be inconsistent of me not to because I'm pretty sure it was my no concessions one time. <laughs> I wasn't on for that one, but I did see it when it was out in theaters. And even high school me thought that movie sucked. Fair enough. I saw it with uh, my college girlfriend on Christmas, and I think that was the beginning of the end for us. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's obviously getting two stars. <laughs> Definitely two. It's Alita Battle Angel. Oh, garbage. I didn't, I didn't even see that one. That movie... Um, I think I watched half an hour of it. And I think I wanted to watch more, and I forgot. The movie is <laughs> not good. The movie is not good. It's not even like a, a competent adaptation. But I will, I will drop them... Um, no, fuck that. I was going to say I was going to drop it a three star because of the effort put behind doing an adaptation of an anime thing and it not being fucking awful. But it was it was awful. It was pretty fucking bad. So I'm going to drop this one a two star, maybe one star. No, it's better than one star. Two stars. It's watchable, but like I wouldn't recommend it. The next one is Cool World. One with an exclamation mark. <laughs> Dog, if I could give that movie no stars, I'd yeah, definitely right. Well, because like, I, I always like originality because I'd rather see that than a sequel of something that I'm like preconditioned to like. But this, but is, this one was this, terrible. This is full on Bad a ripoff of an existing film. But without any of the recognizable pro- uh, franchises that made Hooprene Roger Rabbit um, appeal. Way hornier. Way hornier. Just, you got to give it the one star just for being so horny. <laughs> I cannot abide by the horniness. Uh, Prince of Darkness. Either of you see that? I didn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the movie, I mean, it's, it's a really weird movie in that it shouldn't exist because nothing really happens during the movie. It kind of has like four things happen for like a 90 minute period and it's not very scary. There's not much tension. Maybe my brain has adjusted to living everyday life, but like I just I didn't think that there was much to that movie and I would give it maybe. Yeah, I would going by 
the uh, recommendation scale, like one star being I wouldn't recommend, five stars being bitch, go watch it right now. Two star, I would say, would fit this movie because you probably don't need to see it. But if you were to watch it, it's not like you can be mad at you for suggesting it. Yeah. I mean, they might be. It's kind of a waste of time. But you know what? You live and you learn. The next one is The People Under the Stairs. It's a very good rap group. <laughs> I don't know. I'm right in between three stars and four stars. The movie was fucking weird, man. It's like, that's why I'm like three stars because it's pretty out there. But again, pretty cohesive, pretty tight. Yeah. It gets to the point and it's like, yo, this like weird fucked up family. And they're like Reagan Republicans. Yeah, <laughs> it was so weird. It was weird. I'm giving it four stars. I'm dropping a four on that. Go watch it. It's a fun watch if you can find it. You can rent. I'm pretty sure you can rent it. I rented it when we yeah. watched. I think I bought it, rented it on YouTube or some shit. But it's accessible. Check it out. Yes. Not enough horror movies have black people in them that don't immediately die. It's true. It's true. All right, so shout out to Midsummer, which I saw, where the black guy is not the first one to die, uh, but he still gets killed yeah. despite giving numerous <laughs> warnings. So I've been told I've, I haven't seen it. Somebody explained just that portion of the movie to me. They're like, "Yeah, there's this black guy in it, and he just keeps telling them how bad of an idea this is, and they just say fuck it and do it anyway." And look, as someone who grew up with a lot of white friends, you just leave by yourself. Like that's <laughs> the part of that movie that doesn't make sense. You just go. Like, cool. This is past the point where this is okay for me personally. So, um, I guess bye. <laughs> like, you guys have fun. Uh, the, the next one is the shadow. Shadow, it's oh, pretty man. good. Shadow is good, dude. The, I don't know if it's four stars good though. I would three definitely like three and a half. I wish yeah. there were half ratings because a there, half star, there's some weirdness to it. Yeah, I really like the idea that Alec Baldwin was playing a character who's a fucking it's, warlord. It's got some of the hammiest acting I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it's that half star is just for early in the movie when you see Alec Baldwin with long hair and a coke finger. <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, I can see Alec Baldwin a fucking heroin. <laughs> the next one is My Blue Heaven. This movie is fucking garbage. I didn't see it. <laughs> oh shit! No, like this is this is a one star. This is absolutely a one star. It's uh, it's about this dude. Uh, I think the term on TV tropes is karma chameleon, where you just constantly just do bad shit and nothing bad ever happens uh, to you. No, that is a karma Houdini. Karma Houdini. Because you always escape the bad karma you're supposed to incur. Yes, yeah. Karma Chameleon, the song. The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> He's a karma, 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 karma Houdini. That's how that song went, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Doesn't quite flow as well. My memory isn't what it used to be a few months ago. Uh, the next one is Death Becomes Her. Death Becomes Her, I would give four stars. It's campy in a way that's really fun. And it's honestly the best Bruce Willis performance you're probably going to see <laughs> because he's not like bitter about being an actor yet. <laughs> it's like the first Die Hard and the Fifth Element and Death Becomes Her, like peak Bruce Willis giving a shit about acting. True. 
after that it's just like he's clearly upset that his music career didn't take off and i feel like we talked about that a lot on the on the episode for hudson hawk but that's full on what's going on it is it's absolutely what's going on yeah i would personally give death becomes her a four i understand if you want to give it a three but it is very campy everyone's having a good time and it's really only like four actors just having fun in weird comedic shit true enough i will give that a four then Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Five. Five. Six. Okay. Even. Well, no argument here. Love that movie. It's it's incredible. Hot Fuzz, that's obviously a five. Yep. I won't hear anything else. Seven. Seven. Well, I, I forgot that was going to be part of the list. I would have uh, downloaded <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. With Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> the only time I will condone police brutality is seeing it in Hot Fuzz. Well, once it gets other white people, it's fine. <laughs> They don't even carry guns. They had to go back to the police station to get guns. Guns that they had to steal from somebody. Yeah. Civil asset forfeiture is a problem, people. <laughs> Vote it up. This is a side note, but I was watching the New Year's special for Doctor Who last year because they didn't do a Christmas special. And there's like a person that's taken over by an alien and she gets pulled over. I'm like, I turned to my girlfriend. I was like, oh no, they don't carry guns over there so they can't solve this problem. Because <laughs> that's like an immediate US cop, you attack one cop because an alien's controlling your body, the other cop kills you. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so the next one is Dora and the Lost City of Five Gold. stars, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Not for the Two movie, stars. but for the experience, right? For the experience. Five stars for the movie. <sighs> Man, that's like a two and a half. Like, it is kind of fun. It's a fun movie for sure. I just. I don't know if I can recommend it to people, but it is a fun movie to watch. All right, I'll I'll give that two stars. It's the Sonic the Hedgehog of six months before Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) All right. uh, Avengers Endgame, I'm giving that a two star. Yeah. God, I need to outline this again because I'm still pissed about it. That movie shouldn't exist. Or they should have written a better story. How the fuck? How the fuck in Infinity War do you let Thanos get away? Because then you don't have a movie. The, but don't do the movie in two parts. The, you know what <laughs> or, you do to solve this problem, right? How about instead of whoever Myrna or whatever Thor's sister's name is destroying Asgard, Hella, Hela, you have Thor uh, fight what's his name? Uh, Thanos on Asgard have him release whatever that fire thing is and have it stomp all around in an effort to just, like fuck up what's his name Thanos and then you move the movie you make that the central plot of the movie and then you make Thanos the bad guy that you can't beat and then then you have Endgame where you can finally beat him don't involve time travel time travel's the worst yeah the in retrospect having if you listen to the old show um, and we're on the Patreon, you heard us talk about all of the movies um, up to Endgame and then eventually review Endgame. But um, the fact that Thanos gets dropped at the end of phase one and then straight up, aside from 30 seconds in Guardians of the Galaxy, doesn't get addressed at all again until Infinity War is a bad idea. Like, you know, that's not how you do an overarching villain. Like... You can't just throw them in at the end and be like, all right, cool. This is the big bad that we've been reaching towards for 10 years and he's going to win. And then we're going to like kind of kill him, but it's not the version. But like it's at that point, it's too late. And then we're going to time travel so we can kill him again. But it doesn't actually matter because of the stupid rules of time travel we invented for this movie. 
it's bad. Have Thanos show up in every phase actually doing something so that anyone gives a shit other than he's about to kill everybody. And that's we have to make that urgent right now. Yeah. Make it so the stakes matter. Because if you just have them say like, oh, well, I want to uh, reduce half the population of the universe uh, because half the people on my planet were killed. Well, hold on. Because he wanted to kill half the people on his planet, and they didn't go for it. And so he was like, I'm going to throw a tantrum at the universe because no one listened to me. Because we're running out of resources on my dumbass planet. But it's how like, about, How about this? How about this? You take your little fucking fisting gauntlet, you snap <laughs> your fucking fingers, and then double the resources. Or make it so that no one ever gets hungry again. Like, you can manipulate reality. You can do so much more than killing everyone. You can just be like, no one ever gets hungry ever again. And people who show like get to this point and where the point get to the point where they want to oppress other people just something turns off and they don't want to do that anymore like you can manipulate all of reality and the only thing you can think of is to kill half the people it's lazy yes. and i it's it's actually more interesting in the comics that he's doing it because he wants to fuck death than just oh, resources are hard everyone knows resources are hard that's what the scarcity economy is based on what i still just don't understand why wouldn't you just double the resources hmm? i don't I, I what's why do you need to kill every, half the people because yeah. you're upset no that's not see this is this is the problem with not having like a philosophical grounding for your villains you just make up something and you say oh that kind of makes sense if you like if you think about it what does the idea of killing half the people in the universe lead back to it's just him not wanting to talk to a therapist about losing half the people on his planet what you do is you have thanos connect with whatever super therapist there is and you have him sit down and you have him talk it out or come up with a better fucking justification or even for wanting to kill people even like have someone who's also dealing with a situation where they lost everything relate to him in some way and like at least have offer a counter to what this dude is feeling is makes him justified like it's so lazy it's the bad. way they approached it it's really fucking bad and so you have like this thing where it's like oh well let's do a nostalgia trip of the last 10 years that's all that time travel sequence is it's like hey remember when we did that hey remember when we did that hey remember this actor from a tv show he's in a movie for the first time like it's boring as shit and it takes too long i didn't need to sit there for three hours yeah yeah any movie that gets worse the more you see it is a bad movie the first time you were just caught up in it and a lot of people who watched Endgame the first time didn't like it then either (laughs) it's fucking rare that movie is fucking dog shit you know the the only reason why i'm giving it two stars is because people had to work on it right actually you know what no fuck that it's getting one star (laughs) at least like it looks good like there's that at least i was gonna say like the 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 visual effects are really cool but no fuck that fuck that no (laughs) one star fuck out of here they got other jobs if their studio didn't get shut down because that's how the industry seems to keep going yeah dog how about how about we do as much work as we can to make us as profitable as we can and just pay the top five percent of the people who work in this company as much money as we can (laughs) while denying you a livable wage and working you until you want to die or until you have to sleep on your fucking desk it's a real thing that happened uh the next movie is falling down that movie was surprisingly good yeah falling down i think it's four stars yeah, that's absolutely a four-star movie. The next one is Surviving the Game. <laughs> Surviving the Game gets three stars just for being fun. Like, it's not a good movie, but, like, everyone is so weird. <laughs> it's It gets three stars just for Ice-T's weird braids. 
Yeah, you know what? I respect Dr. Fisher Spooner or Detective Fish or whatever the fuck his name is. Fish was his partner, wasn't it? Fintitola is his name. Fintitola. SVU. Damn, they gave him an Italian name. That's fucking crazy. For a second, I thought you were talking about a guy from Surviving the Game. Nope, Detective, I do not remember that at all. <laughs> no, it's just a, a doctor and a businessman and his son and Bunch a different businessman. But hey, wouldn't it be cool to go hunt this guy? Next movie is Mandy. Did you guys watch this? Mm-mm. No, I didn't. But everyone I've talked to who has really liked it. I don't remember if I listened to the episode, if I'm being honest. I don't really remember the episode myself. Mandy, I will say, is... I would say like a two or three star movie. Maybe watch it. Uh, the aesthetics in this movie, if I recall correctly, are pretty strong. But the problem that I have with it mostly is that it's an unhinged Nick Cage movie. And I don't really have patience for that. Because Nick Cage, I don't. I try not to engage with things ironically because I think that's really dumb. And it's annoying to deal with. So I try not to like gauge something, my enjoyment on something. Whether or not I got I, like an ironic enjoyment out of it. And I did. But like... It's not good. It's not like I wouldn't tell people like, yo, it's really worth seeing because of how ironically good it is. It's it's still kind of a bad movie. It's interesting. Like the villain is really interesting in it. And uh, the visual effects and stuff are interesting. The aesthetics are pretty strong. Isn't there a chainsaw fight in it? Yes. Yes, there is. There is. It should get an extra half star for that. I I would if I could. It's (laughs) it's getting three because there's no it's definitely not a four star. Definitely not. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. This movie fucking sucks. <laughs> it's fucking it's terrible. So it was. That's a one star. That's I'm a, one, it a one. Yeah, it's hundred percent a that one star. That deserves to not. Hobbs and Shaw is so fucking bad. It's. It's on. The, it's definitely on the list of movies that should not exist and only exist to make money. And I'm upset that it did. Yeah, because we're gonna make it another twelve of them. Yeah, we're definitely getting a separate franchise. It's just Hobbs and Shaw because Vin Diesel and The Rock don't get along. But he's in the The Rock's uh, in the franchise now, so you yeah. can't until he's not marketable. Which would be Never. when he says some like real out of pocket shit um, about the black side of his family, which I know is coming. I know it's coming. He's been denying the fact that his dad is black for so long. That's for sure going to happen. What's crazy is his dad was like a gigantic professional wrestler. Like he was like the world knows exactly who his dad yeah. is, but he just doesn't rock with the black side of his family Not at, at all. all. I mean, th- how hard, whatever. That's that's a different discussion. <laughs> but how hard he rode for being Samoan in this movie and not acknowledging that he's half black at all. It's crazy. Wild. It's crazy. It's like I get the cultural ties are stronger in like islander culture yeah because like they get to still have an islander culture yeah and, like you can know that you're samoan i don't know where in africa my family's from <laughs> so i guess i don't get to have that same connection but <laughs> fuck the rock basically is what i'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit all right so the shining is the shining as good as we keep saying it is no <laughs> no what, it's not the shining is a two-star i disagree favorite. Hold on. Oh, we you weren't on that I episode. I wasn't on it, uh, that, but I really liked The Shining. Ben. And also, uh, quick digression to the sequel, Doctor Sleep. 
surprisingly awesome movie. I mean, you're not going to think so because you don't like The Shining, but everyone else who's listening to this, definitely check out Dr. Sleep. I believe that Dr. Sleep was probably better than the amount of money it made. Based which on, is none. Yeah. I don't know anyone who actually <laughs> no saw, one saw it Dr. It Sleep, but I know a lot of people who did see it and were like, you know, as a sequel, pretty solid. Like it does its own thing. And it was like, when I heard the synopsis, it was like, I've, I read the back of that. I read the, the sleep jacket for the book and I was like, this is fucking insane. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the shining, so I get the supernatural element of it, but it's weird. The shining supernatural element in the movie just doesn't even matter. It literally doesn't even matter. I said this during the review and I still feel this way. You could have made that movie about any other fucking property on this planet. It didn't have to be the book, the shining. Mm. It didn't have to use that property. You could have just written that story. It didn't have anything to do with like supernatural ability. It did. Well, in a very minor way, it did. It had the kid who could see fucking dead people or whatever. And the old black man who was literally the magical black character and was called the N word and then murdered. Oh yeah. That did happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's so much a movie as it is like a series of still shots and it's like very aesthetically pleasing the way that the shots are set up. I mean, it like, is a great looking movie. I'll say that Kubrick's super, super long shots can get really tiring. He's especially also, when they happen in every movie yeah. that he directs. He's also an asshole, historically. True. True. I'm giving this movie three stars. Go go watch it. What would you give it? Five? No, I'd give it four. Oh, okay. How about you? Three. Three. Michael, watch it. Like, I get why it's iconic in cinema. Um, but also, like, it's not that It's tight. not going to, like, blow you away. It's, no. It's a good movie. And it's, it's like, you can be super well. good at making movies and not be an asshole to the people that work for you. And this is more uh, Stanley Kubrick hate than uh, dislike of The Shining. But it's for the performance. Shelley Long never recovered from that film. The woman uh, lost hair and was brutalized that entire film. And Cooper was just like super cool with Jack Nicholson. Next movie is Space Jam. I'm giving this fucking Seven. one star. <laughs> I give that a thumbs up. One star. Space Jam. Space Jam's a bad movie. It's if you, awful. If you want to watch a a movie that has live action and animation that's not Who Friend Roger Rabbit, watch uh, Looney Tunes back in action instead. <laughs> it's a much better movie that actually has a plot. And is it just a two-hour commercial for Michael Jordan's career? Yeah. Despite the fact that he was already the most famous man in the world. That you know, wasn't the other man named MJ. They fucking didn't even cover, cover how his dad got murdered or that the he fact actually... that his dad was murdered. <laughs> murdered over Because it was ostensibly a children's film, but... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That was I. I feel like I started that sentence in the middle of the statement that I was trying to make. The last dance didn't cover how his dad oh, yeah. was murdered. Like, yeah, they don't, they don't. They don't really because Michael Jackson had final edit. I have a bunch of issues with the last dance. Michael Jordan had final edit. ESPN also had a lot of uh, sway over the editing of that docu series. Um, so of course they're not going to talk about the rampant corruption in the NBA or the fact that Michael Jordan's gambling problem is probably, but not definitively, what got his father <laughs> murdered. <laughs> And directly led to Space Jam. Like, <laughs> Space Jam happened because Michael Jordan's dad was murdered. Those are connectable points in oh, actual shit. reality. We can connect those two points. Like, that's not a 
correlation thing. That's a direct causation. <laughs> exactly. Could, so how many other movies can you say were made because of that? <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the universe conspired to make Space Jam through Michael Jordan being the biggest asshole in the world <laughs> and using that to drive him to be the greatest basketball player of the, you know of his time. And that level of pettiness and overconfidence led him into gambling and that gambling, even when he wasn't always right, because you can't always be right because it's fucking gambling, um, got his father killed. Probably allegedly no one who has legal authority is going to listen to this podcast, but that's probably what happened. And he retired. He had to retire from the league, played baseball, came back to basketball Space Jam happened because the Looney Tunes were doing bad because they hadn't made a good cartoon in 15 years. But they did have a very successful Super Bowl commercial and is also probably why Super Bowl commercials are still a thing. So all the influences this movie had. The Hair Jordan commercial (laughs) revived both Looney Tunes or it revived Looney Tunes, Michael Jordan's career as not as a basketball player, but the idea, the very idea of sports um marketing like licensing individual athletes over like the team or the league as a whole because for a long time you couldn't do that and it was michael jordan's agent who was like yo jordan brings more into the league just by playing than you're getting through any of your marketing so he deserves a bigger deal that's why we have larger contracts now they didn't really touch on that in the last dance either that's why there are bigger contracts for quote-unquote star players in the nba that's why you can have like Air Jordan really took off because they it was a combination of acknowledging that Jordan is the star of this entire league. And so he's marketable there, but he can also be marketable on his own. He doesn't just have to rely on his ba- basketball salary, but that had to get started somewhere. And Hair Jordan really brought that shit to the forefront um, by being a Super Bowl commercial. The Looney Tunes had been on the decline for since the mid eighties, the last big cartoon they had done um, was a small ad that ran in front, a small commercial that ran in front of some other Warner brothers movie that doesn't fucking matter. But, and then there was their appearance, the Looney Tunes appearance in who framed Roger rabbit, which they had to negotiate with Disney because Disney was producing it. But we got the Looney Tunes back after space jam, or we got Super Bowl commercials as a national phenomenon after the hair Jordan ad, and Michael Jordan was able to return to the NBA because the heat had died down from his father's murder slash gambling debt. And then Space Jam happened in about 18 months. It was a real quick turnaround directed by the same guy who directed the Hair Jordan commercial. Oh. So that dude pulled a Zack Snyder fucking 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now everyone who was between four and eight years old when that movie came out it was like space jam's the best movie that ever happened even though it's objectively garbage we can still enjoy it but like it's a bad movie that doesn't have a plot but i said all that to say it's crazy that movie happened and it deserves one star (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah you love to see it you love to hear it this is a three star if i've ever fucking seen one quentin tarantino i think this isn't like to discredit him at all he's competent at what he does but he's one of the most overrated directors out there period period and a lot of that i think is manufactured by him 
Like he's been saying for a long time that he just wants to do 10 movies and he's going to be out. So that that on its own builds anticipation for every movie he's doing. So whether the movie is good or not, it's like, oh, fuck, this is number seven. They're like, this is number eight. Like, uh, what was it? The Hateful Eight, that garbage. Oh, was that number eight? That was yeah. number eight, I think. God. Oh, that makes me hate it even more. And I was like, well, this is number eight. He said he only wants to do 10. We'd better go fucking see this movie. And it's like you shouldn't have you shouldn't have seen it. It was not good. I, it took me three tries to get through that fucking movie, and then Wait, they released Hateful Eight. No, I actually like that one, but it is a lot slower than. I mean, if ones. you want to see Kurt Russell say the N word a whole bunch, that's the movie for you. <laughs> Hollywood, though, I disliked a whole lot. Oh, did you? Because it felt like two movies that were just yeah. kind of like stitched together. It does have that feel. Leo DiCaprio struggling as an actor in it, and that or real life depending on your opinion of him <laughs> and then brad pitt investigating all the like cult stuff going on with the manson people That's which such, i thought was, that way was more interesting. weird connection but it's like if you want to make i would watch a movie that Quentin Tarantino directed that's about the Manson family. Well, that's family. what I thought this movie was supposed to be about, and it like barely touched on that. It's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna watch Leo DiCaprio fuck up his lines like for 20, twenty minutes straight. Yeah. Which, if we wanted and to watch that, we would just watch his movies from fifteen years ago. But <laughs> yeah, like the Manson family story is super fascinating, and I feel like a lot of the focus only gets put on the Sharon Tate murders, which is also the bulk of what. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood focuses on, but like that whole story is super fascinating and really only takes place over about a year and a half. So I would watch Tarantino's take on the rise and fall of the Manson family and like how that killed the hippie movement and made like serial killers, like a th- it didn't make serial killers a thing. The coin, the phrase had been coined uh, earlier in the sixties, but like that whole idea is super interesting, but I don't want to also watch mid-century hollywood like still be racist and hard for rich white people like that's not fun (laughs) why would you add that to the story just pick one of those two pick one of those two ideas to focus on yeah a lot of the reviews were saying well it's a love letter to a different like era of hollywood like okay well what if i don't care about that era what is this movie doing (laughs) what if to make me care about this era it's doing nothing was fucking eight years old when that was happening who gives a shit what he (laughs) thinks about that era yeah for real that's so strange two stars (laughs) two stars I'll do it. I'll fucking give it two stars. Hold on. Did I already say I'd give it two stars? I don't remember. I think you said three. All right. Yeah. Fuck it. Give it two. Yeah. Fuck it. I did give it three. That's how you negotiate down, people. (laughs) You make a case. (laughs) Next movie is Hereditary. I didn't see Hereditary because I have horror movie problems. Well, it's apparently very close to Midsummer, which I saw. And, uh,. It's great, and I'll never see it again, so I imagine that sentiment is echoed if I were to see Hereditary, which I will, eventually. I liked it. It was a fine movie. I, I get distracted easily when I'm watching slowly-paced movies, so I missed a bunch of it due to yo-yoing. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, to be honest, like I don't find uh, movies that specifically build tension all that scary. I'm not afraid of scary movies anymore, as it turns out. I just watch and it's like, all right, this is the slow build. But what's it building to? Oh, there's a child's head in the road. That's interesting. Well, what's next? <laughs> a lot of people took issue with the, the kid's head. And I was like, ah, I feel you. Like, that was, it was a little bit over the top. Definitely, um, definitely strange. And like, um, I did like the reveal of the mom finding the body in the car. <laughs> the next morning that shit was 
intense. I'm giving it four stars. Next movie is Hard Boiled. Five. Oh. That movie was crazy. Fuck. God. Not because the story's good, just action, action, action. Yeah, it's, start to finish. It's an action movie, all right. Did you watch it, Charles? Yeah, I was on that episode. Fuck, man. I mean, I could go for four stars. It's. I'm going with consensus here. How about you? I mean, it's not a good movie in the sense of like I enjoy losing myself in the story, but the <laughs> yeah. spectacle no, no, gets five. The there's an undercover cop, and then there's a plays by his own rules cop. Hilarity ensues. That's the <laughs> oh, right. And there's like the there's the girlfriend, and there's the flowers from the the other dude, and the kid who like the younger guy who's undercover, but maybe he's gone native yeah i remember that movie yeah four stars all right i uh, I mean i don't know if not remembering the plot of that movie uh is a great argument for it but like it's fun watch through and i mean that last scene at the hospital is incredible like from beginning to end like it's a good sequence yeah that that 45 minute sequence at the hospital (laughs) genuinely like it's the full last third of the movie that's really creeping up on the last half of the movie (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if you got a good set piece, you go for it. Yeah, fair enough. Dr. Detroit. Five stars. <laughs> if only because we don't get weird comedy ideas like that made into films anymore. Now that's an example of an original idea that is really cool. Yeah, like it's so weird and like off kilter and just comes to do a thing and... None of it goes the way you think it's going to, like, but like you, in a fun way. Can you imagine if like 90% of movies coming out were all weird off the wall ideas like that? I'd yeah, be living the, in the movie theater. The film Not industry, now, obviously. Well, the film industry would have fallen apart because <laughs> there'd be too many different ideas or it'd be flourishing because different ideas would be allowed to be explored and people would be into it. Yeah, right, Dr. Detroit, four stars. Dr. Detroit is wild. I still sometimes pull up clips from like on YouTube from the movies, like like the scene in the junkyard is still really funny and stupid. Uh, the dance sequence that just randomly has actual James Brown in it is fucking bonkers. Doesn't belong in that movie at all. There's no reason to have a dance sequence because it's not even like just James Brown is here and he's performing. It's a full on choreographed dance sequence that happens right before there's a chase around that same hotel. But like the juxtaposition of the fucking university having an event and the fucking players ball, which is a real thing happening at the same hotel was really funny. Like the idea that this professor, like this fucking basically an adjunct professor getting the players ball to move to the same hotel so that hijinks can ensue is really funny and ridiculous, but it's engaging. I've watched it probably two or three times since we did the episode. Cause hey. it's just funny. It's just really funny to me and it holds up even after an unrepeated viewing. I oh, should get five stars for that kind of review instead Damn. of just four. If you see something more than once, I mean, it's on. one of the only movies that I didn't directly suggest or make a <laughs> no concessions that I've watched multiple times. Nice. Yeah. It's never too late. It's never too late. Never too late. Oh, I don't Who's know. I looked at you like that. <laughs> 
Because like uh, you looked at me like you're expecting me to continue the song. Like, like, you, I, do you I know this random song off Luther Vandross's second album? <laughs> oh yeah, no, sorry, I thought it was the third album. My mistake. <laughs> I only listen to songs with no words. <laughs> so none of Luther Vandross because it's all about that silky smooth voice. What's the next movie? Twenty eight days later. Oh, I love that movie so much. So you'd give that a five? I give that a five. How about you? I can give it a three or four. I can give it a four. All right, all right. It was before <laughs> zombie movies were bad and annoying. Yes, yeah, it's true. Uh, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. Didn't was see it, it. That was a movie, right? I mean, it was, was a movie. It? Okay, I thought it, uh, it was I, a book that came out actually right around the time of Twenty Eight Days Later. How annoying! It took a while How long for ago? yeah, dude, it took a while for that movie to be for that book to be made into a movie. I, I thought and those kinds of like arguably, ironic books based on old properties were like a lot newer than. Nah, it was that. like ten years ago. What is time even? Who knows? It's a good question. Anyway, actually, from a physics point of view, there isn't actually time. You, know, you you can't measure it the same way you could like measure temperature. Like, oh, here's my thermometer, and I can measure the temperature over here is you know 100 degrees. There's Whoa, no time measurement. You can shit. only measure the difference between things. And even then, it's based oh, on shit. personal, like your personal perspective. Um, smaller organisms experience time faster than larger organisms, and speed also like your relative speed to other objects also influences how you perceive time time is entirely perception based and we can't actually definitively say uh what units of time are and so it makes it real hard to do stuff like explain what the universe is doing or remember remember in interstellar when that guy was in the spaceship for 35 years but it only been a few minutes on the planet (laughs) which is Whoa. how time works if you're going fast enough. No, Whoa. they were uh, close to the black hole. Because also, if you're close to something yeah, massive, time slows down. Yeah, too. time dilation is a thing, and it becomes really like hard to. Because that's why like atomic clocks are a thing, and we had and, like that's why we invented atomic clocks. Like, hey, do particles are particles elementary particles affected by time? And we like had an atomic clock, and we put the other one in space, and we're like, hey, these are a couple seconds off, or like a couple minutes off. I think in one case, I was like, this doesn't make any fucking sense because these these two atoms are entangled. They should experience things at the same rate because at that scale, outside stimulus doesn't really affect it. But somehow, they don't experience time at the same rate simply because one of them is on the planet Earth and being that close to a large mass makes a difference in how time is pers- like how time dilates versus being just a couple thousand miles away from that same mass makes time go slower and so what the fuck does that mean so weird it's, it's just a property of light light is travels at a constant speed but it's like can time be measured not in relation to other elements elementary no, particles because there is no time time's not real you guys <laughs> don't tell my girlfriend that because she's late for everything but <laughs> time's not real <laughs> oh shit last movie's hoosiers two who's just who's just fucking fuck. sucks <laughs> it's not good it's not a good movie what a weird idea to be like let's make a one a basketball movie and two an underdog basketball movie and make it about a white college. That's like the heroes are the High white school. people. 
high is school. it high school yeah yeah the heroes are the white kids who are worse at basketball <laughs> but they make because it's basketball the villains have to like not the villains but like the team that they're the underdogs to have to be a different high school in a disenfranchised neighborhood where all of the players are black and they've been fed for 50 years at that point that the only way for them to get out of their situation is to be successful at sports but they're the team they're the bad team that we have to fight against underdog stories are bullshit when it's sports movies i think that's an important distinction to make for every sports movie like the mighty ducks not to bring it away from hoosiers but mighty ducks is an example where it's not uh racially fucked up where the teams the mighty ducks are against like they have regimented practices and like they show up on time and they are also fucking 12 year olds who are like well my parents signed me up for this and i have to keep and like i'm going to rehearsals and i'm or rehearsals i'm a fucking arts nerd i'm going to practices (laughs) and we've got to like make sure that all of our plays and strategies are in line we're doing everything right that you're supposed to do to play this sport well but we're the bad guys compared to the the ragtag team that honestly there could be an argument made for the fact that that neighborhood doesn't get any funding and also has a fucking do you doing community service for driving drunk as their coach <laughs> but that's not the team's that's not the kid's fault in that movie that's society's fault <laughs> <laughs> but they're like doing everything that the ducks should be doing and eventually start doing because that's like the whole point of the mighty ducks is at the beginning they're just like whatever this is weird like group of shitty kids who like are signed up for hockey and they become a good team that goes to practices and stuff but they didn't practice for as long as the team that wins but we're supposed to root for them because we like these 12 year olds and we don't like the other 12 year olds. <laughs> Sports movies are inherently bad because they don't actually address any of the issues that result in an underdog story. Like That's Gridiron Gang, which again, fuck the rock. Uh, <laughs> Gridiron Gang tries to like, be like, yeah, these, these kids who are in child jail uh, are working harder for being good at football which is true but also why isn't there all these fucking children in prison <laughs> i've never and they seen all happen to be from the same handful of neighborhoods facing like these kids who are in a predominantly white neighborhood and in an, in a community where they've been allotted more money so they can afford better facilities it's not like it's not honorable to be poor <laughs> And that's what a lot of sports underdog movies try to sell you on so that you give a shit about what's happening and not about the fact that these people were put in a position where they didn't have the same advantages to begin with. Sports movies are bullshit if there's an underdog. If it's just like, hey, this is a true story of a thing that happened, sure, because that at least addresses that, hey, some people don't have the same advantages. And that's the point of why this is happening. Sports movies that were like, this is an underdog story and we have to face them against other people don't do that. They don't put any work into being like, hey, this is why they're like this. And no one's at fault except for the system. And that's what fucking Hoosiers does. And that's what the Mighty Ducks does. That's what Teen Wolf does. Teen Wolf is a whole, has a bunch of other issues, but that's also what Teen Wolf does. Sports movies with underdog stories are bad and you should stop watching them. None of them are good. <laughs> 
God damn. Yeah, tell us how you really feel. Who Honestly. just gets one star? I said two stars five minutes ago. <laughs> Who just gets one star? Just based on that explanation, I'm fucking changing that rating right now. What the fuck? God damn. The energy. I respect it. We know that white people are not as good at basketball, but it's not because they can't be. It's because their life doesn't depend on making money in a sport. God damn. Non stop. All right. Anyway, those are all of our ratings for the movies. I mean, follow the show on Letterboxd, and if there's anything that we missed, just pull it up on iTunes or whatever podcast thing you use and remind us. All right. To recap the ratings, Hudson Hawk, three stars. Dragon Slayer, four stars. Black Rain, four stars. The Spirit, two stars. Alita, Battle Angel, two stars. Cool World, one star. Prince of Darkness, two stars. The People Under the Stairs, four stars. The Shadow, three stars. My Blue Heaven, one star. Death Becomes Here, four stars. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, five stars. Hot Fuzz, five stars. Dora and the Lost City of Gold, two stars. Falling Down, four stars. Avengers Endgame, a very well-earned one star. (laughs) It's one fucking star. A well-deserved one star. Yes. Surviving the Game, three stars. Mandy, three stars. Hobbs and Shaw, a very, very, very well-earned one star. Emblematic of a one star. The Shining, three stars. Space Jam, one star. Once Upon a Time, in Hollywood. (laughs) There it is. Two stars. Hardboiled, four stars. Dr. Detroit, four stars. 28 Days Later, four stars. Uh, Hoosiers, one star. All right, that that does it for our review, uh, re-review of these movies. Catch us on, uh, fuck, Letterboxd. I'm losing it. I almost uh, said Redboxed. <laughs> Redboxed stopped quite. doing games, and so I stopped patronizing them. Oh, shit. Because why would I go to a physical machine to rent a movie if I can rent the movie from one of five <laughs> streaming services? It's true. I was only going to Redbox for games because you can't rent video games anymore. Which is weird. Anyway, we'll be back with our reviews. Reviews? Reviews Reviews of the Bad Boys franchise. Yes, that right there. In its entirety. Yes. Thank you, Charles. This week's subgenre is uh, movies that are, for some reason, way too long. Um, I don't remember what I initially said because I don't write these. And we're back, back. Yes. A peek behind the curtain. The subgenres are made up when we record the show. Yes, <laughs> on the spot. And I'm very fortunate if I remember them. <laughs> anyway, we're reviewing Bad Boys 1, Bad Boys 2, and Bad Boys for Life. Um, 
The only correction from earlier in the show that I will make is that Michael Bay did not direct Bad Boys for Life. Oh, he didn't. He just produced he it. He produced it, but did not direct it. It was produced by another man. It was a couple guys who directed it. God damn. I'm only going to do... Bilal Falal and Adil El Arbi. Their first Hollywood movie. They did a bunch of Bollywood movies before that, I think. Gotcha. But you know, that's, that's an appropriate choice for the type of movie you expect to see for bad boys. Honestly, the way a lot of these shots are done, it probably benefits them to have been from somewhere else culturally, like in terms of how they approach this movie. Because it's very, it's compared to the first two, it is very visually distinct. Yeah. In terms of how the shots are uh, coordinated. Real, real quick, real quick. I actually found a uh, very, very easy way to distinguish between these. There's actually a franchise Wikipedia for these, and it's like a nice little table. Anyway, uh, Bad Boys dropped April 7th, 1995, directed by Michael Bay. His debut, too. Very first movie ever. Really? Which really stood out when I was watching it because I was thinking, wow, this kind of feels like proto-Michael Bay where everything's like a smaller scale than you see in all his other movies. Yeah. So I IMDb'd it while I was watching it. Yep, it was his first movie. Did a bunch of like commercials and music videos and Playboy shoots. Hell yeah. That sounds like Michael Bay. Makes sense. Yeah. And Megan Fox was in the club scene in Bad Boys 2, right? Oh, really? Oh, was that one before Transformers 1? Yeah, because that was why Michael Bay knew Megan Fox. She went to an audition for extras, and she was 16 at the time. And Oh, no. In the ecstasy scene? I'm pretty sure it's the ecstasy scene oh, that Megan Fox is that in. That was all 16-year-olds? It wasn't all uh, 16-year-olds, but Megan Fox was there, and she was definitely 16 at the time. God there damn. was more than zero 16-year-olds. <laughs> there Way was too a many zero amount of teenagers in that scene. <laughs> and Megan Fox is one of them, and she has, a, she has a movie career because of it. Hell, yeah. You love to see it. <laughs> um, she also had to... As a side note, made her quote unquote audition for Transformers was washing Michael Bay's car in a bikini. Michael Bay is a trash person. Jesus Not just Christ. because he makes bad movies, but because he also makes bad decisions in his personal life and uses his position of power to leverage it over people who don't have advantages like he does. God. Oh, gross. Pure garbage. Anyway. anyway. Screenwriters Michael Berry, Jim Mulholland, and Doug Richardson. Story by George Gallo and uh, produced by Don Simpson. Produced by John Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Uh, Bad Boys 2 came out on July 18th, 2003. Michael Bay directed. Ron Shelton and Jerry Stahl did the screenwriting. Ron Shelton. Cormac Wibberly, that's a name. That's a name. And Marianne Wibberly. Uh, Shout out to a, to a functional husband and wife in Hollywood. <laughs> well, let's see Maybe. if they're still married. I'm not even going to look it up. Never mind. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer uh, produced it. And Bad Boys for Life um, was dropped January 17th, 2020. Adil and Bilal uh, directed it. Screen written by Chris Bremer, Peter Craig, and John Carnahan. A story by Peter Craig and Joe Carnahan. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, Will Smith, and Doug Belgrad. Belgrade? Belgrade. Well, shout out to Will Smith for getting a producer credit. Yeah. And the most astonishing thing about this, honestly, was that it had a $90 million budget. And it pulled down. Is that it? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, dude. Impressive. 
and the box office was 419. And wow. Granted, the, the last one, uh, Bad Boys for Life, doesn't look like a Michael Bay movie. It doesn't because no. it's not a Michael Bay movie. Yeah. But in some ways, it's almost better. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about Dude, it. that third one was way better than the first two. Now that I'm thinking about it, they don't really go anywhere in Bad Boys for Life. So, like, that cuts a lot of costs if you're just keeping your shooting schedule, like, your shooting location to just, a, like, a handful of areas on location in the area your movie is set. Yeah, because they were in Miami and then Mexico at the end, I guess. Although, Mexico was really just a building, right? I don't know yeah, how many shots they had. Of- yeah, that was probably just a soundstage, if not, like, a single building that they built and then everything inside was a soundstage because we don't see shots from the outside after the destruction happens. We only see stuff on the inside. So if they went on location to film an actual building in Mexico, all the shots inside could easily have been on a soundstage. Once they're no longer outside that building and we'll get to it, but all those could be on a soundstage and all that, that soundstage could also be in Miami because Miami, Miami has a lot of, uh, like film infrastructure. So, they could have very easily. Wow, ninety million. That's crazy. Yeah, it stood out immediately. And granted, again, like as we brought up on the show before, we don't know what the marketing budget was, or definitively what all the actors made, and how that factors into the budget that's listed. But impressive. Still, that's going I mean, over if budgets it quadrupled again. its um, its initial investment, and that's yeah. Un- be- no, no, I doubt they spent that much on marketing. the fact that movie's under a hundred million dollars is surprising to me yeah absolutely uh the first one was only 19 million that one i believe yes it was Um, like 97 there wasn't a whole lot going on 95 95 fuck yeah yeah 141.4 million uh return which is like pretty good that was back when that would be considered that was impressive like doubling your budget not doubling 19 million uh, like Like that that is legitimately really impressive Especially for an action movie starring black men. With a new director. In the 90s. Yeah. With a first-time director. Yeah. yeah. Bad Boys 2, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer. So, like, he knew, like, Bruckheimer knows action movies. Like, yeah, that's his whole jam. I'm actually surprised that there was an eight-year gap between one and two. That was surprising. Like, because I, I watched them just back-to-back. To back, and I had seen both of them, but years ago. So, watching them back-to-back and seeing on Netflix, like, 95 fucking 2003 like wow they went that long between bad boys one and two yeah i mean granted i remember bad boys two because i was fucking 13 when it came out so i was old enough to be paying attention to the movies coming out but yeah that's crazy how long it went between all three of these movies yeah yeah this Consider- was this was my first time seeing all of them uh but the extent of my knowledge to bad boys was that one shot in hot fuzz where uh, you just see Martin Lawrence say, shit just got real when something happens and, and the story of that movie. I thought, okay, well, if it's in Hot Fuzz, it's probably action-y. And you know what? It was. Yes, it was. The second movie, uh, the budget was 130, 130 million. Yeah. The pull-down was 272 million. That makes sense. I, I know at the time, like, action movies were super saturated, especially, like, weird post 9-11 stock state funded yeah because when i was watching that and they referenced 9-11 i'm like wait a second this like, didn't come too- out in like 97 like immediately <laughs> after why did they wait so long <laughs> this wanna- is 
So the first movie, I will say this of the first two movies, there's not necessarily a plot in either of them. It's very loose. There isn't there is like a theme. It was like this is what we're working towards. But the A to B for solving whatever the problem is of those first two, I honestly to the third one as well, the A to B of solving what the like the A plot is is so thematically short and they just kind of place a bunch of scenes in it to get you there and it's like i think it's most apparent between one and two because in one in bad boys you're you get the entire you get the entire plot immediately the titular bad boys have made a bust before the events of the film. That's already happened. That gets brought up in the first like 20 minutes of the movie. They, I do like the cold open of that movie where they're driving together and they get pulled over and they, they fuck up those dudes. Fun fact, that was shot in LA. So when they suddenly started talking about Miami, I thought, wait a second, I thought Why this wouldn't was taking you, place in LA. Why wouldn't you shoot that scene in Miami? That was probably done uh, like a reshoot or something afterwards. Yeah. It may Who have knows? been like a, you know, proof of concept was like, these guys together have a dynamic. Let's let's just like throw a scene together and let Will Smith and Mark, Martin Lawrence improvise. Because that has the feel of an improvised scene. Yeah, gotcha. there was a lot of improvisation that took place in the first one because apparently they only had... Because Martin Lawrence is one of the... Rewrite stuff. Yeah, Martin Lawrence is one of the biggest comedians at the time. And Will Smith was... Still actively filming the Fresh Prince at the time, so it's like you have two. You have someone who is in stand-up comedy and someone who's on television comedy, and you're just kind of letting them go. So that works. Like that makes sense. It works. Yeah. In and lieu like of you, in lieu of full rewrites, Michael yeah. Bay just let them kind of uh, kind of riff. riff for a bunch of scenes, which yeah. stands out, and that's kind of. What's but it also does give you a pretty good. What I'll say for that scene is it gives you a pretty good idea of who those two characters are. Like they address that. Will Smith's character, Mike Lowry, is coming from a place where, for whatever reason, he's got money. And he's a cop and he's made detective. You get the feel, like, you get the vibe that he's the younger cop and Martin Lawrence's character, who I don't remember the name of because it doesn't get said as much. They say the, the, the name Mike Marcus, Lowry. Marcus something. Mike Lowry. They say Mike Lowry so many times in the first Bad Boys. Because I'm Mike Lowry. It's but it's Mar- like that plot is also like stupid. Like, it's like the idea that he would have to pretend for that long and they would do one just like. Yeah. The, and honestly, like the first like 40 minutes of that movie could be cut out. Yeah. All of these movies are dumb long. It's interesting to see in the first one, especially, that at the time. Martin Lawrence was the bigger star because a lot of the stuff that happens to Will Smith's character in the first movie happens off screen. Yeah. He goes on that stakeout alone. He, after we see them at the, uh, the first club sequence that we see them at, (laughs) not the one with the 16 year olds. That's a bad boys too. Uh, in the first one, a lot of the stuff that Will Smith does is off screen. We just see like him reacting to stuff or like coming back from something that happened. It's very clear in the first one that Martin Lawrence is the bankable star in bad boys. Like they're both clearly like it's, you can tell that they're both. I mean, obviously it's two black leads. So obviously they both have a lot of cultural capital, but you, it's, 
clear that Martin Lawrence is the bigger star in the first Bad Boys. And it's weird to see like how many scenes are just him and Tay Leone just fucking talking to each other. Yeah. And I was like, man, this could you could have cut easily half an hour of this first act of the film. So that we're not, and that's what got me the most when, like, you said we were doing Bad Boys for Life, and then we were like, cool, I'll watch the first two, just because I haven't seen them in a while. It'll be good to get a perspective on the newest one, given today's market landscape versus 15 years ago and 20 years ago, or 25 years ago. But when I saw that they were all about the same length, I was like, what the fuck, dude? 95 was way before we had the tolerance for a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. That was I mean, to be fair, the first one is only two hours. It's the second one. That's too fucking long. <laughs> for an action movie that really only has one plot point, there's no subplot. I mean, I guess the subplot is uh, Marcus is lying to his wife. That's the subplot <laughs> yeah. of that movie, is that one of the detectives has to lie to his wife about part of his work which is ingrained <laughs> into the idea of being an undercover detective yeah we didn't need that it's it's really weird and it gets dragged out and doesn't actually deliver at all but when we in the third act when it gets revealed that like his wife when his wife shows up to mike's apartment and is like you know what the fuck is going on and then they go downstairs the rest of the plot is basically finished because those dudes show up and shoot up his the lobby and Marcus's wife didn't need to be there for that to have stakes. Yeah. Yep. The movie, I think, insofar as it being too long goes, it's just that I don't think the movie moves along at a brisk enough clip for it to justify being two fucking hours long. It really yeah, accordions like, pace-wise was like, all right, cool, we're condensing stuff. Stuff is happening. Yeah. These two guys are detectives. They're partners. Cool. They had a bust at some point in the recent past. The scene that we saw right after them introduced is people breaking in and stealing the drugs from that bust. So now we know why these two, we know who these two guys are and why they're invested in this scene. And then there's just 40 minutes more of first act. Yeah, there's a lot more like iconic Michael Bay connective tissue in the second one. With a lot more explosions and things happening. First one, he's like still, you can tell that he's, he hasn't fully developed his like cinematic style yet. And I know the way that I'm phrasing that makes it sound like he's this auteur director. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. When you see a Michael Michael Bay Bay movie, you know. I love Michael Bay. The only difference between Michael Bay and um, Christopher Nolan is that Christopher Nolan talks less because they have the exact (laughs) same style when it comes to like, I'm going to do as many things in camera as possible. I like long shots that really emphasize how much we're doing in this action sequence. It's just that Michael Bay is willing to take money from the U.S. government to fund his movies, <laughs> and Christopher Nolan is not. That's really the only difference between the two of them as directors. I mean, honestly, like Michael Bay, well, the direct uh, and Christopher Nolan writes more of the movies that he directs than Michael Bay does. Has Michael Bay written any of his movies? I don't he, think so. He's got screenplay credit, credit on it. He's got story credit on some of his movies, which is weird. And two of them are Transformers movies. So, oh well, that I don't a lot. Even remember how many of those there are by now. Honestly, like I think that Michael Bay has such a distinct look 
And prior to finding out about the Megan Fox thing, I was just like, yo, like Michael Bay might be uh, one of the best directors, not as far as quality of film goes, but as far as like a realized style yeah, goes. Yeah, he has a very distinct style. He's an auteur. Like, I think that's auteur is a term that definitely applies to Michael Bay. He has a very distinct style. If you go, if you see a Michael Bay, produ- even a Michael Bay produced film, even if he's not directing it, if he's just producing, like he did with the last two Transformers and Bad Boys for Life, it f- has a feel because he's involved. And I think that has value, like from an artistic standpoint, the idea that you can go into seeing one dude's name and knowing where you're going to get and then getting that. Yeah. It's consistent and honestly, it's enjoyable. Like, I'm not trying to make an Oscar campaign for Transformers Dark of the Moon, but if I watch that, I know I'm going to get like two hours of really interesting visually stuff. Like, visually stuff. So, I mean, sure, he should not have cast a 16-year-old Megan Fox who was clearly lying about being 18. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Bad Boys 2 is still fun to watch. Like, it's bad because of that one actress in one scene that you can't actually even specifically identify if you watch it because I watched it the first time to talk about it for the show, and I was like, I remember that Megan Fox got her acting start on this movie and she was 16 and everyone just kind of ignored it. You can't see her. You can't like specifically identify her in that, in that like club scene. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say no harm, no foul, because obviously you can't sexualize a 16 year old girl, but you can't see her. (laughs) Oh shit. So I don't know what side of history I'm going to come down on. It's not good that he did that. And she shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. Someone should have definitely done more work into verifying that she was of legal age to be in a rated R movie, but no one did. She made it in. She has a (laughs) career now. (laughs) Does she still do? No, she doesn't. She hasn't acted in a while, but, um, Jennifer's body is worth a watch. If you haven't seen it, Right, that was that's the last one I think she's in. Right? She's that's been in, I, I think, two movies since then. But I'm going to say that Jennifer's body is Megan Fox's peak performance. Like, it's a really good movie. Anyway, uh, I would say that Bad Boys One and Two are bad movies, just roundly. Yeah. Uh, the first one doesn't have like a defined style and it's like very over dramatic and it's it like, feels like a bunch of commercials honestly because of like the frame rate changes multiple times like depending on the scene the frame rate will just be like suddenly higher and it's like this feels uncomfortable but it's because you're getting a much more accurate like portrayal of human movement all of a sudden where it's like oh well this was 30 frames per second now it's suddenly 60 frames just to like emphasize the heightened reality of what's going on and it's mostly just Mike Lo- or Martin Lawrence and Will Smith yelling at each other. Yeah. And, and Taylor only just kind that. of being boring, but like annoying uh, about it. It's kind of like another Michael Bayism though, isn't it? Just like the girl character who gets dragged along. The rest she's just of the there plot. the whole time, but she's just loud and annoying the whole, like as it happens. And then bad mm-hmm. boys too, like introduces Gabrielle union and putting together, like Will Smith and Gabrielle Union. And that's the only conflict between their main characters. They're totally 
like they keep bringing up like the whole like the therapy thing and that was a really weird thing it's they, weird they kept bringing that up because they also too. shit on it the whole time it's like if it were cops should be in therapy because they deal with so much violence inherent in their job and it makes them like it makes their lives difficult is one idea that's worth exploring but it's just like used to poke fun at martin Lor- at marcus and the chief for like it's like oh stop taking yourself so seriously will smith's character is so toxic as a person <laughs> through all three of the films no he's, consequences whatsoever though and but like he's because will smith is super charismatic and fun to watch on screen it's like oh yeah he can shit on whatever is happening even though they set him up as someone who comes from generational money doesn't have any respect for police officers who maybe need some help dealing with the things that they go through day to day and then in bad boys for life is purely motivated by revenge he is not the good guy in bad boys for life i would i would i would argue that he's justified in bad boys for life but i would say also like that's a revenge stories are so weird now especially when they involve cops yeah because all i can think is like fucking death wish yeah. It's like, oh, so this fucking trained guy is going to go out and shoot brown people. <laughs> but if one of them's brown, is it, is it as bad if it's brown on brown crime? What about brown on brown crime? Hmm? And honestly, they don't, at least they don't frame it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like they, there is personal investment once we get there. I think, honestly, Bad Boys for Life is the best one. Uh, oh, because yeah. 100%. It adds like a tiny bit of humanity to these characters who are just caricatures throughout the entire series. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not even that much humanity. All it is is at the beginning of the movie, you can see that Mike Lowry is truly hurt. That Marcus is like, no, I'm not going to fucking help you get revenge. Well, uh, yeah. So here's something interesting about that. Do you? Th- they never would have done this because it's a buddy cop movie and you can't kill off one of the cops 15 minutes into the movie. That spoiler yeah. alerts Will Smith gets shot early on which was wild but was, it. do you think great. it would have been a better movie if after Marcus had said yeah sorry Mike but I'm gonna retire this cop thing isn't for me anyway and you kind of have the like meta narrative of that working into the fact that Martin Lawrence kind of looks doughy in this movie <laughs> he hasn't really appeared in anything so you wouldn't expect him to be like an action star and to the movie's credit they don't show him doing too many badass things they make it clear that he's out of practice for a lot of that when that assassin came out to try and shoot will smith do you think the movie would have been better if marcus had saved will smith by taking the shots for him and died and then the rest of the movie is just a revenge movie for i don't think so i think it works because it re like it reinforces their relationship like his support in the same way that in Bad Boys 2 when they both go to Cuba to fucking free Gabrielle Union which is clearly and explicitly in the context of the film extrajudicial like they make it clear yes, that they're 100% t- that they're going after, this is after 9/11 this is 2 years after 9/11 and we know so, that because they say so early in the movie yeah. they have the fucking and they have to make it clear to you that it's Oh, you don't fuck with us. This that's the tone of Bad Boys too. Like yeah. you this is our club. Which you don't fuck with would us. Would have been written to like the point a of year having, or within a year of like 9/11 happening too. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Even to the point of having 
Gabrielle Union's character be from New York? Yeah. Where it's like, okay, we know what happened in terms of policing on the state, city, and federal level in New York at that time. Like, they make it a huge point. And so when they extrajudicially go to Cuba to overthrow a drug lord, it has stakes because of the real world implications, but also because of their personal relationship to each other. And so that's why I think it is important that they're both still alive throughout the entirety of Bad Boys for Life because it reinforces that relationship. It's kind of reversed, whereas in the fir- in Bad Boys 2, it's fighting for Marcus's sister. In Bad Boys for Life, it's Mike's connection to a family he didn't know he had. Yeah, and that, that story element. It was, it's a stupid <laughs> plot point, yes. but in terms of personal relationship between the two partners we've been following for three films it does track consistently yeah i mean in all honesty the the third one being the best one is just because they did a small amount of work basically right but all they did was add in some points about like hey like maybe maybe revenge is bad yeah (laughs) maybe and then you the the whole thing with the new team that comes in is really fucking annoying yeah like oh these young hot shots this fucking 23 year old it felt like they were trying to launch a new franchise it did yeah it felt very fast and the fast and furious about it It was like these are new people what if we keep making these movies and uh, fucking Martin Lawrence is out. We keep Will Smith to keep it a bad boys movie, but now we've got these three young people, even though Vanessa Hudgens is 31 years old. And- oh, was that Vanessa Hudgens? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Didn't even recognize her. Well, because she had uh, cornrows right or- here. Oh, okay. oh I'm th- I was... You're thinking of the boss? Yeah, oh, I thought no, it was yeah. the boss. I was just like, huh. That strange. woman is actually in her 40s, so that makes her relationship with Will Smith, who's 51 fine yes (laughs) yeah it's so it's the third the third one the really the only thing that i have to say about any of these movies anything positive anyway is the third one just like they were so close it's like in the movie falling down when michael douglas is watching the tv he's watching the fucking playback of his interactions with his wife Mm. and like he like slowly starts (laughs) to understand like he's so close to getting it but he just eventually loses track because he goes out to chase his fucking wife yeah anyway like i feel like that's where bad boys for life was they were on the edge of like saying something poignant something important about being old and knowing when to give up and like the humanity involved in action movies but they just they just say fuck it they miss it because we have to have that last action sequence yeah and you you have to have uh will smith running around a garage or whatever shooting people and killing a guy by accident that seems fucking so wildly unnecessary that it's like we could have still gotten to the same point but it's like it's what got me at the beginning of that movie is they introduce the antagonist but there's no considering this is the third movie the fact that they that this whatever fucking case happened before any of the uh, before the first two it was like you can't just and you can't just inject this into the history, considering this is the third film, and not 
something and, that was and never expect al- us to actually give a shit. Yeah, at, at first I thought it was going to be some sort of relation to the French bad guy from the first movie, or or even the Mexican bad guy from the second one, or a Cuban bad guy from the second one. It was like, all right, I could see if it was like the fact that there's no relation to e- like anything in the first two movies, but they shut up, they still try to make it part of Mike's history is like. We don't. I don't give a shit about who this woman is, or that she has a son, because I don't know who they are. They don't suddenly have relevance just because you say they do. That's telling and not showing. You know, it's funny. I think that, like, thinking about it now, I think that the characters of Mike and Marcus aren't actually characters as much as like their relationship is the character in the yeah, movies. Yeah, hundred percent. Like because if you these. Like That's why you can't in, kill one of them in the third movie. Yeah, exactly. Kind of point. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. And I didn't even answer the question. I agree. Like you can't, you can't just kill one of the guys because those two individually aren't really even people. No, they're like, really they're caricatures. Yeah. There's rich cop and there's family cop. cop. <laughs> it's family cop. Yeah. It's, it's rich just, cop and family cop. And it's just like Lethal Weapon, except yeah. they're younger, at least when the movie initially came yeah. out. And even like what makes Bad Boys for Life work is that their characters are are believable. Considering like what their career has been, even like how old the actors are, because like detectives stay in the game for that long like it's not unreasonable to have detectives in their late 40s early 50s still actively working on cases and will smith is in real life aging really well and martin lawrence is in real life aging the way he's aging (laughs) (laughs) i mean he's just not staying in shape it's whatever but like he was never an in shape dude he was like he was really skinny in his early career and it's because he wasn't making any fucking money. And then he started doing pretty well. And he has he's successful. Like, And you get that vibe, too, in Bad Boys 2 and Bad Boys for Life, that Marcus is successful. He's a good cop. And he's been doing well his entire career. He's got a nice house. His family is supported. He's doing what he wants to do. Like, They're even like in this when they have the wedding for his daughter in Bad Boys for Life. That's at the same house that he's in in Bad Boys 2, like where they have that river view out you know the river that leads out to the ocean yeah, it was, but like it was it, quite a house upgrade from movies one to two for him. yeah yeah you wonder what he's doing in his free time hmm? but what are you selling drugs marcus <laughs> hmm? it's like oh fouché from movie number one that's a pretty good idea ripping <laughs> off the bus that we made maybe i should get into that <laughs> so it's like it tracks like you their career trajectory makes sense and they're always going to be people who just like age better and make it a point to stay in shape yeah so that they can still be doing it because for a lot of cops which we're fucking seeing right now in real life uh a lot of cops are in it for the thrill of it the adrenaline that you get from being active in these scenarios and granted he's a detective who specifically works in drug busts like who works for you know the department that handles stuff like that so, yeah, you're going to have to be ready to, at any given point, fucking storm a drug dealer's house or, like, make a huge, you know, make a big bust. So, it makes sense. It tracks. But the character, like you're saying, is very much that dynamic meeting in the middle and them still giving a shit about each other. 
and it's believable. That's what makes these movies work is that you care about their relationship. And that's always what the conflict is across all three of the films is them meeting in the middle and being like, hey, I feel this way about how you approach stuff. I feel this way about how you approach stuff. But by the third act, we've got to come to a decision. And sometimes it doesn't always meet in the middle. Like in Bad Boys 2, I know, in the first Bad Boys, when he still shoots that dude, at the, like when Will Smith's ready to kill that guy and ends up still having to. And it's like, well, fuck, dude. Like, <laughs> I thought this was leading in a different direction. And he still had to kill that guy. Anyway, these movies are bad. All of them are bad. Yeah. All of them are bad movies. Don't, I, these yeah, movies I, are getting twos from me. I would say it's like they, they have something to say, but it is not said well. Or it's not said well or honestly worth saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, what ratings are you giving it on uh, Letterboxd? I'm, I think I'm on board the two star train. I'm two two three. I would give Bad would Boys give, for Life a higher score than the first two, but mostly because they actually take the time to address the idea they bring up in the first act versus just we got to close this case, and that's as far as it goes. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised that after the first one they made it into a franchise. It didn't seem to like quite have the sort of iconic feel that other first franchise movies like the first Fast and the Furious have. To I think it's entirely it. based on the success of the lead actors. This when yeah. Bad Boys Two came out, Will Smith was transit had transitioned from television actor to film actor and martin lawrence had had that weird period in the late 90s where his he like got in weird real life trouble and uh his career kind of dipped and then was on the upswing again in like the early 2000s so like that i think that's why it got greenlit again it's like nine like after the first bad boys martin lawrence like martin was off the air his last special hadn't done like super great. Like his last special on tour hadn't done super great. And then he was kind of, he had some legal, tr- I can't remember exactly he, what happened, but he had some legal trouble in like the late nineties. And so like 99, 2000, 2001, he was kind of back on the upswing and Will Smith's career was, yeah. he was becoming Will Smith as we know him now. I mean, he was Will Smith. Yeah. He was the highest grossing actor in Hollywood. Like yeah. at the time. So, when and Michael Bay's career had also really kind of built up. He'd done Armageddon. Um, he'd done what movie did he do? Did he do the Italian job? It was another fucking car movie that he had done. Gone in sixty seconds, maybe. Maybe I don't think no, he did that. no. He done another car movie and he had done um, fucking Armageddon. So all three of them were on a serious upswing in two thousand two. So that movie got made, and then now it's nostalgia based decisions yeah, it's, it's so bring the old franchises back haven't been yeah. in a while it was the rock after bad boys the rock that's what i'm thinking of that's the car movie god damn um yeah this his career he doesn't he hasn't made a bunch of movies but like he's made a lot of fucking money yeah you fucking kidding me this is these are all like when you talk about blockbusters that's his whole jam, his yeah. blockbusters. He transitioned from commercials and music videos to blockbusters, and that's his career now. And they're going to do well. 
granted part of it is because they're directly funded by the department of defense but you know you take your money from where you're gonna get it <laughs> yeah it's to make the military look good in movies if you're curious because you're not gonna get that's coming an from. aircraft carrier there's maybe three privately owned aircraft carriers in the world so if you want to have a scene in your transformers movie where they're having a meeting on an aircraft carrier you've got to get approval by the u.s navy if you want to have fucking f-15s fly through chicago in your other transformers movie you've got to get the air force on board it's true and when you take that funding because they give a lot of money because it's recruitment is what it comes down to the transformers movies are a great example of this is these are one like hasbro being weirdly into (laughs) making blockbusters all of a sudden and two recruitment videos for the armed forces so you're getting the the department of defense will authorize actual military equipment but in exchange for that equipment you and for honestly tens of if not hundreds of thousands of dollars from the department of defense as part of their marketing budget because they do have their own marketing budget you also agree to let them have a certain amount of influence over how the military is portrayed in your movie. And that's not just an exclusively Michael Bay thing that happens all over the place, like Top Gun, um, which filmed here in San Diego. They got a lot of Oceanside is real proud of that. They got a lot of money because all the military stuff was filmed in Miramar. So the air force invested money into the production of Top Gun so they could use actual jets they didn't have to just make CG their shit. yeah they didn't have to yeah. frame their shots around here's a cockpit we built in a studio and now we've got to make it look like it's actually flying they got to use jets and uh the with that weird movie stealth from like 2006 um with jamie fox and jessica biel and yeah when white the world guy of was the hour. first exposed to the dangers of artificial intelligence yeah one stray lightning bolt. They're going to come kill us all. <laughs> so it's like that kind of thing gets funded by the Department of Defense. And as a result, they get to influence how they're portrayed. It's like in those movies where they're, you're seeing a lot of actual military equipment, you'll notice that they're never like portrayed as the bad guy <laughs> or like no, at no. fault at all. It's always like if even the Transformers movies, when they show like the upper brass and stuff, or like people making the decisions that are actively against the protagonist. They're always seen as just individuals who aren't speaking for whatever they go for because the people on the ground, which is also how you fucking propagandize and you make sure that it's people who like the consuming public sees, Oh, my cousin is on a squad like that and they're rebelling against the fucking general or whatever. Those are the sequence. Those that's how they kind of shape it into propaganda or marketing and recruiting for the armed forces. Is hey, you can only show us as being this way and this way, not actively impeding the plot of the movie or the heroes of the movie. We're just also there, and when it comes down to it, crunch time. Yeah, you can have all the ordinance that you need. Because we want to be shown that, yeah, we'll cooperate. We'll be there in support of the people on the ground when weird alien stuff is happening. Yeah. So. That's what's up. Yeah. That's what's up. 
Anyway, that I guess we've gone far enough. We've started the- saying more about not bad boys than about bad boys. Yeah. So, so uh, that's it for the review. Two stars all the way. Yeah, maybe two, two, three. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll give it three because Will Smith does a good job of being shot. <laughs> <laughs> that the CG for that was so bad. It looked like he was getting hit with paintballs. Yeah, dude, fucking bad. Anyway, we'll see you after the jump. segment no concessions where we make a case for our favorite or least favorite movies what you got this week charles this week i have a recent pick like very recent like in the last two weeks uh the warner brothers Hanna barbera movie scoob (laughs) and honestly i know the spirit of this segment and I'm not 100% sure I can make it a true no concession. I really enjoyed Scoob. I liked the his, like the references to Hanna-Barbera as a company. I really liked the core plot of that film. It's more... The only thing I will not con- that I'm willing to concede on is some of the voice actors. Um... I didn't really like Will Forte as Shaggy. And uh, what's her name? Who played Velma? Oh, Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez has a bad history of uh, not being black and saying the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, I got problems there. Um, but overall, as a Scooby-Doo movie and as a like just kind of nice reference to a lot of Hanna-Barbera's history from naming one of like the mountain they go to in the sec at the end of the second act Messick mountain for Don Messick, who was the original voice of Scooby-Doo and keeping Frank Welker on and like the weird obscure references to the blue Falcon, which is in that same, uh, parliament of characters as space ghost, which got a revival of space ghost coast to coast and, Birdman, you know, with Harvey Birdman. Like, it's kind of in that same, like, the idea, as much as I don't like Mark Wahlberg, his portrayal of Blue Falcon is kind of in that same spirit as Space Coast Coast to Coast and Harvey Birdman, attorney at law, where it's like, here's a character that you would recognize from these cartoons from fucking 50 years ago, but interpreted in this way and clearly, like, distinct from that character. It's a lot of fun. The animation is really good. And I'm a Scooby-Doo stan. Like, Same. I'm just glad they didn't put like a trap remix of the Scooby theme in there. Yeah. I didn't like <laughs> the Scooby-Doo theme that was in the movie. Me neither. But it's better than a trap version. Yeah. 
the Shaggy version of the theme song from the 2004 film. Fucking great. And didn't actually make it into the final cut of the film. But... Very nice. But great. Great example of reinterpreting the idea and still staying true to the franchise. I think they really played it safe with the theme song and Scoob. But overall, it's a cool, like, fun modernization of... In the same way that Mystery Inc. was, a fun modernization of Scooby-Doo as a franchise. And introducing, like, bringing in other Hanna-Barbera characters, like, spoilers... Uh, Dick Dastardly is the primary villain and fucking uh, Captain Caveman. And then the references in the credits of like McGilla Gorilla and Adam Ant. Like that's that shit's really fun. And I think it's interesting. Like it's fun and engaging to watch Hanna-Barbera's long storied history and animation be brought into the modern era. And I hope we see more of it. Cool. How about you? Uh, my recommendation this time around is an old British TV show. Well, old, like, you know, 10, 15 years old. Not that old. Uh, it's, if you like Black Mirror, the creator of that, Charlie Brooker, had a entire, like, franchise of his own, um, starting with a show called Screen Wipe, where he breaks down how TV is made and the sort of, like, behind-the-scenes examination of... Okay, if if you're just seeing this show, what's the actual like development process that goes into it? And it's not like dry like delivery of information. It's all with this like comedic bent, which is like weird to think about the Black Mirror creator. You would think of him as being some like dour pessimist who doesn't really like think anything is good in the world anymore. But at least to me, all the humor in Screenwipe is excellent. Um, every episode's available on YouTube. There's three or four seasons of only three episodes each, given that the BBC does TV serials really strangely. Then he did another series called Newswipe, which was a similar vein, but instead of being about development of TV, it's about how the news is created and why news segments are structured the way they are. Like, what's the benefit of the 24-hour news cycle versus how the news used to be, how have politicians changed how they present themselves because news is 24 hours now. Uh, Then he switched to current events, which was something called Weekly Wipe. And then lastly, he would just do a hour or hour and a half special per year called like the year-end wipe or something like that. Did that from like 2010 to 2016 And then very, very recently did one called uh, the antiviral wipe, just about coronavirus, which was kind of cool. It's very hard to find online, but uh, it's there if you know where to look. Wink. Uh, But definitely check it out. Uh, He is super funny. He's got a unique take on all this media that we're consuming. So uh, can't recommend it enough if you can deal with bad quality because it's uh, old YouTube videos. All right, legit. My no, no concessions pick this week is The Saint, starring Val, Val Kilmer. Hmm. It's uh, it's an interesting movie about the invention of cold fusion. I miss the '90s and '80s where the idea of a movie could just be dumb. Like the, the cold fusion as an idea is stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not well, gonna happen. Never gonna happen. But in the '90s, it was possible. And one doctor, all by her lonesome, figured out the. Uh, Oh fuck yeah! yeah, yeah I, remember this movie. 
yeah. and then she saved Russia as and if then it's saved a chemistry experiment, right? Like all you need to do is write a singular formula, and then bam, you've done it. There's there's even a portion in the beginning of the movie when somebody's just like, "Hey, have you gotten this to work?" And she was just like, "No, not yet." And I was just like, "Oh, I see." And uh, for some, I don't even remember how it happens, but it gets figured out at the end of the movie. It's basically the the concept is Val Kilmer's a thief. He has to steal this formula from this woman, and he seduces her to get it. Yeah, dude. And, this movie is. I've seen this movie. This movie is full on bonkers, top to bottom. Dude, it's sick as fuck. I recommend it. Why is it called the Saint? Because he grew up in like a missionary home, whatever the conservatory. Yeah, he was an orphan, and he grew up in a. It's like basically a Catholic orphanage. Yeah, and there so there are lots of references. Like he, there are ti- a lot of times in the movie where I guess a lot, maybe like three or four times in the movie where he kind of like refers back to his upbringing and yeah, how important like the saints are because that's name, how Catholicism works. Change the fucking names of the kids at the orphanage. To yes, be they're all after named saints. after saints. That's what it is. And all then, the uh, children at this orphanage are named after saints when they're brought there because they're usually. It's specifically children who are like abandoned as babies, I think is what the conceit is. Yeah, I think so. And then uh, the names he uses to rob people are names of saints. And there's like an interesting interplay between the villains and like statecraft and all kinds of shit. It's an interesting movie. It's worth checking out. And uh, yeah, that does it for no concessions. Uh, you guys got anything you want to plug? Um, depending on you know wherever you live. Uh, I'm sure at the time this this is uh, published, you should probably still donate to a local bail fund for whatever city you're living in. Or if you want to p- pick a city where you've seen some stuff going on, fucking throw money at getting people out of jail who are arrested wrongly for legitimately protesting. Yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make a lot. I don't tweet a whole lot. So <laughs> don't fo- follow me on Twitter if you want to. But I mostly just respond to other people's tweets. Yeah, me too. He's a reply guy. He's the thirst reply. Are you a thirst responder? No. <laughs> because I just quietly subscribe to those women's OnlyFans. <laughs> and no one has to know what I'm doing. Oh, shit. It's a way to do it. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at No Hypothesis. Also, I'm on Twitch now. Uh, also, No Hypothesis. Oh, yeah. Watch uh, No underscore Hypothesis. Watch Charles play Rocket League and Resident Evil. And yeah. Sucky Row. Uh, it's I, I'm okay. I, I you know I think I'm up and coming. I, I don't want to brag, but I'm a bronze three in Rocket League now. Oh no, so, and Sakiro, like, <laughs> like Sekiro, but oh, Sakiro. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Not, Let's so, not talk about how many times I died playing. You're not replacing game. your income with your uh, Rocket League play. That's what I'm saying. Hey, you know what? I don't have to respond to you, little people anymore. <laughs> As a bronze three, you know what? Yeah, I don't. I don't have time to deal with that anymore. Half your half your watchers are from our Discord, but. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, all, speaking all, of which, just, just all of them. There's a, we have a Discord. The links in the show notes. Uh, join the community. It's probably the same eight people have been chatting in there for the last like. We have fun. Yeah, for the last while. We're not like, insane like every other internet community you'll ever dog, come across. There are no Nazis, uh, thankfully. Yeah. Shout out to none of you being Nazis. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's excellent. It's a good feeling. 
uh, join the Discord if you want to chat with some different people, maybe people that you don't normally talk to. Uh, come on in. We're welcoming. It's very slow. It's a small community. Um, also, uh, stay safe out there. Uh, it's a tough time. If you're protesting, don't do anything that's going to get you arrested unless uh, you really are fine with being arrested and sitting in there for a little bit. I have a lot of thoughts about this. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts as a black man in our society about being at protests. And but I don't have any like I don't fault anybody who's doing what they want to do. Um, I will say as a single piece of advice, um, baby shampoo is effective against uh, pepper spray and tear gas in a way that isn't as obvious as carrying a gallon of milk around. So if you can fit a bottle of Johnson and Johnson's baby shampoo in your bag while you're walking around at protests, it's very helpful. It's, it does reduce the acidity of tear gas and pepper spray and can easily be mixed with water, which is much easier to carry around than uh, milk or other like, even like combinations of like baking soda and water, those solutions that people have been recommending baby shampoo does that same job. Definitely worth carrying around and is much easier to hide on your person so that it's not super obvious that you're trying to help people that are being affected by tear gas. Yeah. Because in this climate, helping people is a bad thing as seen by the cops. Doug, do the right thing. Wow. Wow. What I'm just, we went from one nightmare to a second, higher tier nightmare that it's not the same first nightmare is still happening the mayor of la shut down all the COVID 19 uh testing stations and on top and this is even considering that they only had drive-through stations you couldn't walk up um well you could walk up if you were willing to stand in line with cars to get tested at a drive-through testing station and those are now gone also so if you live in la make sure that you vote out the current mayor when you have the opportunity because, because he took four hundred he took forty five thousand dollars from the policeman's union and increased the LAPD's budget by fifty three percent this year. So if you live somewhere and you have a quote unquote liberal representative, just keep track of the things they're saying over the next over the past three or four days and over the next week or so. Because most of them are just like, okay, well I need the police to support me so I can get reelected and that's very telling. Yes, I agree. Uh, stay safe. Shout outs to all of our nurses and doctors and stuff. First responders, you deserve first responders. every acknowledgement. No one is, but it's not enough to just say that you're heroes and leave that alone. You definitely deserve more support than you're getting. Yeah. All right. Later. Until next time. Bye. Watch movies, I guess. <laughs>